Left. Right. Yo, thank you for joining in this episode. This is an interesting episode where we talk about the nutrition in food and why the food in the United States is less nutritious than it was decades ago. I have my friend, Chef Bruno, who has a lot of food certifications. Uh, I don't know which one specifically, but he's got a lot of them. And I know that he is certified to write the nutrition facts on the back of food labels. So he really knows what's in food. He's also a chef, so he uh, he knows how to put food together to taste good without it being packed with preservatives and all these additives. Um, we're going to hear his perspective. You'll hear James' perspective and my perspective. And I'm curious your perspective. So let me know in the comments what your thoughts are. If this is a platform where you cannot comment, uh, shoot me a DM. I'd love your opinion. I'll see you guys on the other end. This is Sip Talk. Grab a drink and enjoy. <laughs> Cheers. 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 That long four means we are live. Welcome to Sip Talk, episode 196. My name is Justin DiGiulio, joined as always by James, the Bosnator Boswell out of Charleston, South Carolina. James is a philosopher, a professional referee, a bartender, and most exciting of all, an accountant. And today we have a special guest, second time podcast co-host, celebrity chef Bruno from Philadelphia, joining Ooh. us. And, uh, and and today we're talking about nutrition and what's happening to the food in the United States. Specifically, what's happened over the last 100, 150 years and the issue that we have with food today. Uh, James is making a last minute run, probably to the bathroom. <laughs> He's doing that. Uh, this is Sip Talk. So Bruno and I are gonna open up, uh, not open, it's already open. Uh, we're going to open, reopen this little Glenlivet 12-year-old double oak cask. And uh, we got just a little bit of this because we are going to make a nice pizza pie after this podcast. And I'm told that Bruno's going to coach me in making this pizza. So uh, the wait's on my show. Real quick. Real quick. Pizza. Deep dish pizza. Is it pizza? I mean, Chicago-style pizza, yeah? Yeah. What are your thoughts, Bruno? About what? Chicago-style pizza. The deep... That's not pizza. That's something. I don't know exactly how to talk to. to it's a casserole. Huh? It's a casserole. You still got to speak up. I know we got a new mic, but you got, <clears throat> you got to speak up a little bit. Um, I don't know if to consider a pizza. It's, it's more, um, I don't know. It's a baked something, but they don't have a name for it. He's calling, James is calling it a casserole. I'm saying it's a casserole. Yeah, it's a casserole. Let's put it. Let's. Let's put a castle that, that fixes it. Well, for anybody who's seen my Instagram, I took some pictures and posted them recently. Bruno made these nice pan-style pizzas, and they were phenomenal, except the one that he cooked in my baking tray didn't cook enough on the bottom. So Bruno brought tonight some very thin baking pans so that that pizza on the bottom cooks really nicely. Very excited for this after the podcast. Um, but... Bruno's got a special way of making pizza. He thinks it's the best. Uh, I'd have a hard time disagreeing with him. Uh, but when Bruno cooks, he's always talking about the nutritional facts, the nutritional breakdown of the food. And, uh, and I think a lot of people don't understand nutrition at the level that Bruno does. I think I understand it pretty well. I hung out with Bruno quite a bit. But I think it's important to talk about what's happening with food, why we have this obesity epidemic, um, what else what am I missing? Besides the obesity part, it's also all the health problem. I mean, you start to have 20 years old that they start to have strokes, and you start to have um, teenager or toddlers that they have lots of allergies and lots of even diabetes at this point. I mean, 20 years ago, there was no, mo no money in diabetes. Today, there's lots of money in diabetes because insulin costs an arm and a leg. 
So many times I start wondering if actually those food manufacturers are invested in those pharma companies to keep the business rolling with all those food like that. That's might be a little far-fetched, but anyway. You have the correlatory uh, data that might suggest that. Don't yeah, no, the, clearly the data is out there. The problem- um, Real quick, we should say hi to Maria. All right, hi Maria. Hi Maria. Um, um, well, one thing about nutrition that I think is problematic is there's a lot of conflicting data out there and it feels like the advisories in terms of eat this, don't eat that change constantly where one decade it'll be like a high protein diet is good. Another decade it'll be a high protein diet is bad. And one decade it's carbs are good for you, but just don't have like the simple carbs like sugars. Other decades it'll be like carbs, carbs are always bad for you. Don't eat carbs at all. And so people get confused in terms of what should I eat and what shouldn't I eat? And how do I know that what I'm hearing now isn't just going to be contradicted in five or 10 years when some new study comes out and it turns out that I was eating all the these eggs and then the study comes out and says eating eggs will kill you. Well, <clears throat> the problem is in fact is, is, is that one, is the fact that there are so many conflicting um, pieces of information and the internet made it even easier to get all these um, influencers, so to speak, that they are paid by those large corporations to push certain things and know some other things. So if you talk with the guy with the olive oil, he tells you that the olive oil is great. Then you talk with the other guy with uh, the avocado oil and he tells you that the avocado oil is great. And I remember when canola oil, it was fantastic and it was also cheap. But then at the end of the story, what's it coming down to is that uh, each one, he pushed the wrong product. So it's really a matter of marketing uh, with a, a a painting of research. Most of the research and the studies, they cannot be duplicated. Um, and that's where my, so to speak, problem came down to. And uh, try to explain to people about the nutrition. Um, and I had to explain it to myself because up to, I want to say 20 years ago, I, to me, food was food. You eat it and, and gone. And then uh, I had to start to pay attention on, on all those other problems, so to speak. Well, let's, let's back well, up. Raj asked the question real quick. He says, what about palm oil? And he says, people are boycotting Nutella because it c contains palm oil. But and oil I don't know anything about the nutrition of palm oil. But I do know that the reason why palm oil is problematic, irrespective of its nutrition, is that harvesting palm oil is disastrous for the environment. Okay. Like if you look at palm oil farms, it's all slash and burn, and it just leaves this scarred wasteland behind on what was kind of lush tropical vegetation. So it's that it's not being grown and produced responsibly, and it's destroying environments. Um, I have no idea about the nutrition, but I've seen yeah. videos of palm oil farms and what they look like afterwards, and it's terrible. Hang on, I just, I want to, I want to just pause and kind of circle back to a couple of things that were said. So we're talking about nutrition, right? And I want to get into kind of why humans consume food, uh, you know, and, and what- <laughs> Do you really does. need to answer that question? Well, I think it's, I think it's a good starting point, a good premise to understand kind of then what food, what different foods are doing to you. But one, you said the thing about eggs, and I'll tell you, you know, eggs have gotten a lot of flack over the last- decade, decade and a half because of cholesterol. But I'll tell you one thing, point to a person who eats a couple of eggs a day, it's probably one of the healthiest people you're, you're going to know. That's, but that's a really poor reference because it, if it you, be, like, you've got a huge selection bias there because chances are the person that you're talking about is someone that is heavy into fitness. So I could very mm -hmm. easily point to other people that eat tons of eggs and are in terrible shape. So well, if they're eating their eggs on a McMuffin, that's one thing. But if somebody's going to go out of their way in the morning, scramble or uh, slide some eggs over easy, three or four eggs, get on with the day, that's going to be a healthier person, regardless. Right. Of so it's not the eggs. It, it's, no, it's, and that's it's my point. Plenty that's, of other things. That's my point is it's, it's how we're eating. And, and, you know, you can get held up in the nutrition all day long, but it's, it's your 
the lifestyle and it's how you're eating. So I just want to get back to why we eat. We eat because well, we need hold on, energy. Hold on. Let's just yeah. define something really quick. Like there are two components to weight loss. But we're not talking specifically about weight loss. I think if you right, but like uh, two components to health, or or you or whatever weight you end up at, and if you want to lose weight, then weight loss. And the two components are going to be diet and exercise. And yeah. in a lot of ways, it doesn't really matter how well you do one of the two. If you do the other half really poorly, you're not going to have good outcomes. I think I think very 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 clearly put. The thing about diet, and then I'm going to let Bruno lead because Bruno and I were talking prior to us going on air. I'm like, dude, you got to stop talking. You're going to get going to get all these ideas out, and you're going to forget to going to forget to deliver them once once we're live. But the reason we eat and what it does for us really twofold. One, we eat to consume calories because we need that for energy. In addition to excuse the me, calorie, excuse me. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Calorie is just a, a reference point. It's how you calculate energy it's like when you go to the to the pump to to buy gasoline you got uh, 87 octane or whatever you know mm -hmm. the octane so calorie it's actually the wrong to me is the wrong um item to look at you calorie it's you can get calorie from eating a carrots or you can get calorie from eating a strip of bacon so i, I got you so basically what you're That's, saying is a calorie to calories food is like a gallon is to fuel. It's, yeah, it's so, like a bulk to electricity. Because because some fuel in the food sense will get you further. Yeah, so some calories well, further. Let me let no, me put a better definition. Kind of calorie, what you're looking at is proteins. Really, is the it's um what's the good in that food? I mean, the calories you're gonna get calorie regardless if you eat. Yeah, but. Like, just look at calories are a measure of energy density in food and a, ca a one calorie is going to be the amount of work that's required to raise water by a certain amount of temperature and so the more calories the more energy that, that food contains and you can have it, higher really, density calories yeah. or you like so you can have something like butter where you might only need to have a couple ounces to have 500 calories or you might need to have a couple pounds of lettuce to have 500 calories. So, but it's not a calorie. The fuel, the fuel is the protein, the carbs, and the and the fat actually. So the calories, the combination of those three items, that it gives you how many calories you have. But if you just get the calorie, let's say from um, proteins, you will end up having a state of ketosis that the increase the acidity of the blood if you get just carbs you get you know you you need to balance those three things to get those 100 calories so to speak i just take under calorie to as a as a reference point so the calorie itself it doesn't really matter it what's it matter is where you get it from where those calories well, come from pretty much calories matter in that if you have like you're correct in, in saying that you need to have a mix between like the three major types of calories of like protein, carbs, and fat. But at the end of the day, like what determines whether you gain or lose weight is going to be the total number of calories that you consume. Versus how many you burn. Right. Yeah, but I mean, many, many people, uh, let's say in, in those poor areas that they are... Uh, they only have uh, the ability to eat fast food. You still have the same amount of calories if you eat um, a wholesome egg or a um, Big Mac. Now, I, I don't know exactly how many calories each one has, but I want to say if you eat um, 100 calories of good food or 100 calories of uh, processed food, the 100 calories from the good food, it gets you farther. So the reason for that is that processed food tends to be more calorie dense. So no, you might no, be getting the same amount of calorie. I want to just right, right, right. No, but I'm saying just follow, let me finish this thought. Please. So processed food tends to be more calorie dense. So to get to 100 calories of processed food might only be two or three ounces of actual food, whereas unprocessed food you might be eating six or seven ounces. So you're going to get full faster 
eating less processed food. Right. And so in order to get full on unprocessed food, you might eat a thousand calories. Whereas if you're eating processed food, the same volume of food might be 2000 calories. And so that's the problem with fast food and processed foods is that in order to get full, you're eating more calories because it's more calorically dense. All right. So the two points I wanted to make 40 minutes ago was that there's two aspects. All right. There's we consume food for energy, so calories. And to get the second point of my second half of the first sentence I was going to say was calories and then nutrition and the nutrients and the, and the minerals that come along with the food and that, you know, we can include fiber uh, in that as well. And what these things do for our body. So talking about how food has changed over the last hundred years, James, I sent you this video earlier that we watched uh, about how a hundred years ago, we didn't even really have supermarkets, not the way that we do today. Food preservation was very different. So we were eating locally sourced food because food couldn't travel the distance because it just didn't last. It didn't have preservatives and chemicals. Yeah, um, we, like with very few exceptions, like because uh, like wheat flour and stuff would still be able to be transported relatively easily. But any fresh foods 100 years ago, like any meats or vegetables, like those couldn't travel very far because transportation, like refrigeration didn't really exist and the transportation methods were super slow. So the food could only travel for like a day or two before it went bad and you couldn't travel very far in a day or two. So also on the wheat aspect, and Bruno talks about this a lot. Bruno's obviously Italian. He likes pasta. Pasta comes from flour uh, and there's different types of flour and uh you know way back then the wheat was not the same wheat that we have today the preparation of the wheat was not the same so uh, should we go should we talk, start talking about chicken or should we, um, should, we should, I, actually no i want to know about the differences between wheat it's all the same situation way because <clears throat> the industrialization of food what's happening is is as the population grow everybody was there was more demand and everybody was looking for cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. So by asking for cheaper, the manufacturer, they provide cheaper items. And by doing it cheaper, they take, took out the quality stuff. So pretty much is uh, for the same amount of calories that you had 100 years ago and today, you had more energy uh, generating nutrients with the 100 calorie 100 years ago mm -hmm. than you have it today. So if you eat a breakfast for 100 calories uh, of wholesome food, you go up to, let's say, 12 o'clock, you don't feel hungry. If you add 100 calorie with a low energy food, at 10 o'clock, you need to eat again. So because the energy is the, the little bit of energy that was there, you, you used it already. The point is you didn't have the time to burn those hundred calories that you had. So by need to eat again at 10 o'clock, it means that in order for the person that you eat a, a poor, a nutritionally poor food, you need twice as many calories to reach 12 so, o'clock. So tell me, tell me about how wheat worked, say, 50 years ago or maybe 80 years ago. Um, but the wheat, uh, the, the point is like uh, it, it wasn't refined. That's pretty much what's coming down to. So they detect this kernel and they just took them out the outer part that is a little tougher and they fed to the cow, the pigs, and so it was fed to the animals. And the rest it was actually ground, that there are three parts inside. Once that you had a pasta fagioli, like I said, you made the reference to the Italian, a pasta fagioli, it was actually a very good balanced meal if it was if it's done the way it was supposed to be done because he had the fat the veg and the carbs and there was whole wholesome thing so somebody that he had a bowl of pasta fagioli he could go to the field and work seven eight hours today if you have a pasta fagioli you just smile and you need to eat something else pretty much um, i want to address a comment from drunk and he says so basically they cut the product so much that it became trash um pretty much so yeah just to that um where 
in order to make food cheaper, the, they had to they had to find ways to make it so that the food would last longer because food spoilage is going to be one of the biggest costs in food manufacturing and, and, and grocery sales. And so if you can take something that's going to to spoil in two or three days or make and make that last two or three weeks or you can can it to last longer, well, you, the, the more refined you make it, the more processing you add to it, the more preservatives you add, like the worse the product is going to be. But you can also make it cheaper because less of it's going to spoil. So you don't have to build in that cost well, for the spoilage. That's not necessary, though, because, example, take um, bacon. Bacon was an early form of preserving meat. Um, Pretty much today, we don't really need to preserve bacon anymore because we have the refrigerators and all these other uh, tools to preserve meat. But pretty much is the bacon was created to preserve this lab of meat, uh, like the prosciutto, like the smoked salmon, like those that now they become de delicacies. But at the time, two, three hundred, four hundred, a thousand years ago, the only way to preserve food was salt, air, and salt and hair, actually. Or you hang it to dry, or you put it under the salt to dry. And that's how they preserve things. Or under honey, actually. Honey is a very good preservative as well. So it wasn't necessarily the preservative to preserve the food. Um, come back to Italia. Uh, the prosciutto, it wasn't made because it was a, a wealthy person food. The prosciutto was made because they killed this pig in February and then they needed to work all summer long in the fields so they needed something that he was ready to eat and they didn't need to cook it in summertime. So they created those things, the salami, the sausages, the prosciutto, the, all those dry cured meats. It was for that need. He wasn't to sell it to some rich guy. So. The problem of the processing of today is really a matter of squeezing the most out of the pig, so to speak. With um, uh, in Chicago, the the armor. Um, well, check, the stockyards. Check, check this comment because I want you to talk about the chicken. I want you to talk about Costco. I want me to talk so Larry, about. So Larry Larry's got a comment here. He said, "Food today is horrible, processed, hormone injected animals." That affect the human body in the worst ways possible. Yes, so. well, uh, with Justin, <clears throat> there is one thing that to me bothers me a little bit for quite a while now, and then I had to go to the bottom of this thing. And the, they are the rotisserie chickens. And the, the, the person that he, that he came to my face more often is Costco's chicken. Um, I was involved with the USDA back in the 90s, and I was telling Justin today that. Back in the late 90s, Jack in the Box uh, and Burger, John, Burger food, fast food in the West Coast had a salmonella outbreak and they killed uh, quite a few people. So the USDA passed a law that they needed to inject the meat and all the prepared food with a, a solution of 3% salt, 3% by weight. So if you had a pound, you need to have a 3% uh, of that in this saline solution to kill the bacteria. And so that they would, it was a prevent, preventive way to kill those bacteria for the food that it was shipped out. Um, then I, once that I started to learn that, I also started to learn that there were fast food companies like um, Kentucky Fried Chicken, example, that they grow their chickens to about a, a pound and three quarts. And that because the, the ratio between bones, skins, and meat it, is optimal to cut it, think, bread it, and then it looks like a whole chicken. Um, and um, <clears throat> come back to the rotisserie, uh, I start to look, look at the, how much thing they were putting inside there. I stumbled on a video, and this lady, she was talking about, I think he was one of those influencers that he actually was paid by Costco to talk about their product. And she was talking nonchalantly about how many things there were inside there. 
And most of those items, they were to retain water uh, so that they think it didn't dry out pretty much. At that point, putting together the fact that they were supposed to inject it with a saline solution and so on, I figured that Costco most likely put about 30% uh, added water in their chicken. So if they sell you a three pound chicken, you, they actually have a two pound chicken. That's what you buy. So you buy two pound chicken and one pound of injected solution. So back a further proof, excuse me one second, a further proof of this thing, I got it from the nutritional information. If you look at the uh, at Costco's nutritional information in the proteins, knowing the calories and so on, for a three ounce portion serving, they have about 17 to 20, on, 20 grams of proteins in the rotisserie chicken when everyone else he has 27 30 up to 50 grams of protein for a three to three and a half ounces serving so that to me said that pretty much is they have a less protein because it's water More water and water it doesn't have proteins so it just has this it's a filler pretty much so those are the problems that most of the food so, so explain. Explain. The, you said they're they're pumping it with this saline solution, which is which is some type of a, basically a salt water. It's and a salt water. Yeah, it's an it, it actually is natural because once that the once that the uh, food they start to once that the enzyme they start to break down and the food the meat is start to lose weight, lose water weight. There is a little bit of slime that it produces on the on the skin on the meat that is not going bad yeah you just can feel it and that is they call it potassium lactate that is a, a form of salt that is it come to the surface because there is less water on the surface of the meat and that's pretty much what they increase they are increasing the salinity in order that like in the like forever salty kills bacteria anyway so the point is once that they kill bacteria they realize that that piece of chicken breast so to speak it would uh, absorb much more water than just the three percent there was an issue with that also with the scallops the scallops at one point the scallop is a sponge very expensive that if you put it in the water those things they double the the, the size Okay. So pretty much they used to do the same thing, put the scallops in the water for a day or two, and then sell it for an X size up. There was a big lawsuit and that uh, they stopped but, it. But that's salmonella. Explain what salmonella is and how it happens. Because I, I didn't realize that this is really well, where salmonella comes from. Salmonella is uh, it's a bacteria that is, uh, is present in chicken. Most of, over 90% of the chicken has, have salmonella. Um, and um, in, in the case of the, the jack-in-the-box with the beef, it's mostly E. coli, that is a fecal contamination. So by raising, increasing the salt uh, into those meats in the, in, the, in the prepared food, they try to prevent salmonella uh, poisoning or E. coli poisoning. Um, right, so the reason why they're injecting the, the saline solution in there is to inhibit the back. If if there's a contamination of either E. coli or salmonella, the injection of the saline solution is going to inhibit the growth. It's not going to necessarily kill it, but it's going to make it a lot harder no, no, it's for going it to, to spread. It, it, the only thing that you inhibit the growth is through temperature. Uh, the growth of the bacteria is actually... Uh, you stop it at zero or you stop at boiling point. And they grow the most between 70 degrees and 140. Between 70 degrees and 140, they actually double every 20 minutes or something like that. But the salt, they actually uh, killed it. It kills it um, outright. That's, uh, I mean, that's why we preserve for thousands, hundreds of years at least. Yeah, well, the, that's yeah. Right uh, I mean, the panchetta, We got a bunch of comments we need to hit. You want, to, you want to read them? Because we're kind of blocked with our camera set up here. Okay. Um, all right. So, um, Alina says, what about the aspect of pleasure, not just energy and nutrition? I think that's really important. I want to get to that. Um, 
And then we've got Larry saying, um, today a chicken breast is the size of a small turkey breast and a chicken wing is the size of a normal chicken drumstick. And he's also saying, like, have, like in, I think this is in relation to the amount of hormones that are in a lot of the meats that are in processed foods is like, have you noticed all the breasts that men are growing? <laughs> um, so I, I think I, I want to really quickly comment about the idea of like pleasure and not just energy and nutrition. And that's a tough balance to strike because eating like a 100% perfectly nutritious and extremely healthy diet can at times be, Tough to maintain because some of those foods just aren't as tasty and so yeah there are some people that would are just like you know what it's not worth going through eating food that doesn't taste good for what they determine to be marginal gains and so that's why companies among many other reasons that's why companies like McDonald's stay in business is because their food evolutionarily we evolved to want to like when we were in hunter gatherers like we evolved we to calorie eat. caloric density we, yeah because we didn't know when the next meal was going to be so if you were going to eat you wanted to eat the stuff that had the most calories in it to last you as long as possible because you might not be eating for another week so like things that were really sweet Sweetness meant that there was a lot of sugar in there, lots of calories. Things that were really fatty meant that there was a lot of calories. So that's why like sweet and fatty foods and bacon is a perfect example because it's both sweet and fatty. Like that's why people today love bacon. Is today, it, 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 fatty. Hmm? today is sweet and fatty because pretty much when it coming down, excuse me if I jumped in, when it coming down to flavors and nutrition, like you say, is the fact that the food and the flavors they are two different industries in today's yeah. world it's the food is one thing and then the flavors you have factory that they just deal with that they deal that the majority of the producer of uh, commercial food they use three ingredients they use cheap flowers some kind of fat that generally is crisco then they use spices and sugar yeah and, and that is flour flavorings so if you take Dunkin' Donuts, use those three ingredients, and then they should some kind of sweet thingy inside or outside or whatever it is. You take McDonald's, it pretty much do the same thing, and then they put a patty or uh, of meat that it can be pink slime or not. I think what James is saying, though, is that just evolutionarily. I don't know if it's evolutionarily, though. That's no, it, it very much is. But I think, like, well, there, there's two factors. One, human for the need of survival want to pursue sweet and very powerfully flavorful foods because they have the most calories. No, hold on a second, Justin. That thing, my grandfather, let's forget about going too much back in the ages. You know what I mean? I want to talk about my grandfather. No, I'm looking to trace the reason why people seek out these unhealthy foods today is that deeply biologically ingrained in us is... So twofold though. So yeah, yeah, we are driven for caloric density, but then also, and I think this is where where Bruno is going with this. You do have the marketing aspect, where it's 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 marketed to us whether it's for pleasure or for the sense of family. You know, like we're marketed the idea of Thanksgiving. Um, you know, there's a there's, there's it's multifaceted why we are driven. You see. Um- I, I, I was born in a regular family, and I grew up for many, many years. I, I used to eat maybe 10 items. My mother, she was, although Italian, she didn't cook a storm. She was really a basic cook, okay? Uh, then one day, I ended up working in the food service, and they started to get me exposed to so many things. The point is that the people that buy, here you come back to Costco's for no particular reason, okay? Just because it's in the conversation. The people that he buy uh, this chicken at Costco's and this views to that chicken, that's the flavor that they know. That's it. You know, so they cannot necessarily, that's to them is the flavor of the chicken. They cannot compare to a regular chicken, how it tastes like or how it tastes like. The only thing that they can see is that that's the chicken to them 
and it's 499. So if you tell them that they need to buy a chicken at 799, so, so that's too expensive. But too expensive on the basis of what? It's too expensive on the basis of the other one is 499. But the other one, they don't have really a, a comparison to make. It's just a, an assumption. And that's what the marketing of this huge uh, food industry today. That's what you keep bombarding us with all these all these bits and pieces of information that a, a normal person it doesn't know anymore who to listen to. I didn't so, want to listen to anymore. So tell me about the healthy, for the health conscious, who want that rotisserie chicken, because we know, of course, it's not fried, it's rotisserie, so it's Nobody, clearly very healthy. It started, yeah, yeah it's, it started that way. It's, that's well, it's less, un, it's less unhealthy than fried chicken because you don't have, it's not cooked in oil, so you don't have the calories from the oil soaking right. into the meat. But, but you do have the fat dripping from the other chickens. Um, your chicken. Yeah, but you, you see that, and again, <clears throat> I find myself that uh, over the years I was in the food service for 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 all my life. So my specialty is cost control and menu engineering. So I needed to make menus, keeping an eye on the cost and keeping an eye on creating the most meals with the fewest ingredients, the most recipe with the fewest ingredients. Uh, at this point, I start to realize quite a few years ago, actually, that if you go to the supermarket, you, you do have the ability to buy I don't want to say organic or super organic or that kind of thing, but you have the ability to buy fresh food, fresh beef, fresh pork, fresh chicken, fresh vegetables. That the, there is a, a pattern in the supermarket that every six weeks, that items, a certain cut of beef, it, get, it goes on sale. And this regular is not that you can almost bet on it. Even now that there is this inflation and the prices they are raising, increasing and so on, I can still see that every four weeks you can buy a top round for $1.99 to $2.99 a pound. And that's a very lean piece of beef, USDA choice. So, and I just pick him up one item. You know what I mean? You got the tomato, you got fruit that is, you always have one fruit or two fruits, two type of fruits, about 99 cents a pound to a dollar thirty a pound, a dollar fifty a pound. So Bruno, can I interrupt you with something? Because like you're making a really good point, but I think you're what you're missing is yeah. that while it is possible to cook healthy meals without having to spend a ton of money, yeah. Yeah. the the problem for a lot of people is one uh, or one or both of these factors. One yeah. Cooking a good, healthy meal with fresh ingredients is time-consuming. The second is not everybody has half or one-tenth of your skill when it comes to cooking. And so you might have people go to a grocery store and see that there's good deals on these fresh things, but they don't know how to prepare them. Yeah, no, I understand that clearly. I mean, if I hadn't had my uh, background, so to speak, in the cooking and the pricing and so on, I wouldn't have been able to see those things. And even, uh, I don't know, sometimes I see the big pork loin, a dollar, I, I saw as, as from as little as a dollar 25 a pound. And normally I would refrain to buy it uh, because again, it's a seven, eight pound thing. But then when you look at, and you cut in a few chunks, you can put in the freezer, uh, froze in portions, and you can actually take the thing that it takes about five minutes to defrost and five minutes to cook. Uh, so, and I understand that many people have those type of constraints, the fact of the timing and the skills. But the bottom line is that we are so bombarded with that other type of convenience that is, uh, is generated by large corporations that we are not um, I don't have enough information on, on take advantage of those type of opportunities that they are yeah, there. Let me they ask are you there not because they are organic or whatever. They are there because the market depends on them. Because I want to I want to take a survey of both the three of us and also our viewers in terms of how many have you ever gone to get fast food 
because it was faster than preparing a meal for yourself. I'm guilty of it. I've done it all the time where I don't want to take the time to prepare something. So instead, I'll drive to McDonald's and get something because I can have it in five minutes instead of having to spend 45 minutes or an hour putting a meal together. Well, I think that's also part of Bruno's message. And, you know, obviously, you talk about the general public. Bruno's trying to have an effect on those that are willing to listen and that have listened to him about how easy it is to cook and and how much healthier and cheaper it is to cook if you're doing things the right way. So, for example, you buy natural ingredients, vegetables, you don't buy the pre-cut ones, right? You buy the actual vegetables. You buy the meat, you don't buy the pre-cooked meat. Right. And again, we, the, the point is like that there is this um, there is this fact that to cook it take a long time. And most of those cooking shows, um, it seems like that those people, they, they put uh, 10,000 things on the way. I mean, they got I don't know, 15 ingredients, half of them, you don't even know what they look like. And then you got pots and pans, little dishes and little whiskey and this and all those things. To make a good meal, you really need a skillet and a couple of spices. You don't really need that much. The point, like I said, there is very little information on that. There is very little information on how to take the four pound top round that costs you eight bucks and and that gives you like 16 meals and you can get a burger uh, uh, you know a half a pound burger for 70 cents or a steak or whatever what uh, uh, i don't know uh, fajitas those kind of things for 70 cents there is not enough information on that part and that's what i think that all those people that talk about health and so on they should talk about it. They should put this information out there. How to to take a chicken and, and actually when it's a 99 cents a pound and you break down and you have four portions and then, I don't know, two you freeze it and two you cook it. And it, it doesn't take long. It, to cook a, a portion of chicken, it takes you 20 minutes. I mean, by the time you go to McDonald's and back, so, so probably taking more than 20 minutes. A lot of our food now is, is a direct... It's, it's, we had the industrial revolution in the fifties, right? Fifties and sixties. I would say before then people bought a lot of fresh food and cooked it and less freezing because refrigerators weren't as efficient and people didn't have as many freezers. So there's a lot more, a lot more, a lot more fresh food. Um, yeah, and probably a lot more salt, but we had the industrial revolution. And now we are being food. We are being fed food prepared by corporations, where they want to get the highest dollar amount, and they want us eating as much of it as possible, and they want us cooking as little as possible because the fast food industry and the restaurants want us using them as often as possible. But what's holding us back from cooking? Because I don't really think. Well, I've already. I, I think I've answered that, which is that the the biggest appeal of fast food and pre-prepared meals is the convenience of if you go to a McDonald's, you know what you're going to get and you know, it's going to be quick. And so, you know that like, so on that note though, on that note, Bruno is incredible at making pizza. Right. And Bruno, we're going to, after this podcast, we're going to go make a couple of pies and those will be done faster than if we end this podcast, went to dominoes.com on the, on the computer or on the app, and then we ordered a Domino's pizza, and we waited a half hour, 40 minutes for it to get here. We're going to go upstairs, and we'll have a pizza in 15 minutes, you think? 20 minutes? Yeah. <clears throat> um, again, um, probably, again, it coming down to me. Over the years, I, uh, I have this knack of simplifying the steps. Um, I take something and I always try to figure out the way to make it easier. So even this pizza example uh, that we're talking about, uh, it takes me about five minutes to mix the dough, and I usually can do it in the morning and throw them up in the refrigerator, and it stay there. It can stay there for a couple hours, a couple of days. Um, to actually cook the pizza, by the time you turn the oven on the, to reach the temperature, 550 generally, you can stretch the pizza in a tray and put some some topping on it and the whole thing is cooked in 15 minutes at the most 
So the problem with is that once that you go look at, at the recipe for a pizza, they make it such a such a big deal that you it seems almost like you need to spend half a day just to slap around a little bit of flour and eggs over there, what is it? Flour and tomato, that type of thing. So again, I think that we are <clears throat> um, bombarded. We are bombarded with advertising and with influencers that take us more towards the convenience part than that then this that's the only thing that they think that they send is the convenience because when you think about it when you think about the mcdonald's part is you got so much negativity on it that you really don't you would having the opportunity you don't want to eat the meals because that means it's going to kick your butt down the road you're going to pay the consequences of the ISAT. I mean, I see, I never care about the sodium. And I thank God, even though I gained lots of weight in the last several years, I never had problems with um, heart or diabetes or that kind of thing. But I see some of those recipes from, I, I told you about the restaurants we were driving by a few days ago. Those people that have dishes that they have 2,000 milligrams of salt, one dish. I mean, you go there, you eat one meal, and probably have an appetizer before that, drink and maybe a dessert. And just with that dish, you have almost the full amount of salt that you needed for the day. Now, those things, they just lead to heart disease. I think that those executives that they put the menu together over there, they must be heavily invested in heart disease medication. Right. Well, look, salt is an easy way to make food taste better without having to improve your process. But look, I don't so, know. So you you're know, talking it's... about health implications of food. And you say, you know, you gained some weight over the last several years or something. Um, but you, that's you at your age. You now have teenagers and even younger who have diabetes, who have heart problems. And but Kelly, that's what you. And we're, we're not doing anything about it, right? We're, we're marketing lousy food to them. We're marketing them chips and frozen foods. There's nobody marketing to kids how to eat fresh and healthy food except Michelle Obama throwing broccoli at people. And that's not, that's, that's not yeah, going to go that Yeah, that seems like that's some kind of disgusting you know, thing because that's where, yeah. Michelle Obama saying broccoli is good because it makes me happy isn't, isn't a great, great campaign to get kids to eat broccoli. You know, there's, there's no way around it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we talked earlier about, and we've, James, you and I have mentioned this on the podcast about how prison food oftentimes can be more appetizing and healthier than school lunches. Well, part of that is because in prisons, the, the preparation of the meals is done by the prisoners themselves. And, that's and so... The, the people that are cooking the meals have an interest in making good food because they're going to be eating it. Well, sorry, I missed something. We're talking about prison food versus prison food. food. No, prison food is it's prison food is federally regulated, and pretty much is if you get so is the, school food. It, excuse me. So is school food. School school food also. Yeah, school food also, and actually California it it is to to pass uh, a little bit better regulation for what's considered school food. Um, with um, inmate food, there was a, a higher risk of uh, abilities and so on. And um, those people, they are primarily fed soya, uh, soy products for um, as a protein content to meet the federal guidelines. So is soys and, and, and flavoring pretty much. I think they have a very, very poor diet. And um, there was a point in my life that uh, since I have uh, USDA uh, certificates and licensing, um, there was a point that I worked with the Department of Correction in Connecticut for about six months. And there was, uh, I had a, a direct experience on this thing. That food is, is terrible, honestly. It's no, well, I mean, the, the, so the federal guidelines is to keep you alive, is not to keep you healthy. Okay. Once that you look at the federal guidelines and they say you need to have X amount of X, Y, Z, that is the minimum requirement 
the minimum that you re your body requires to, to but, function. But let me ask a question. So we're effectively, we're giving people food that's not making them healthier. It's not making them thinner or more fit. And we can, you know, we don't have to draw a, a, a parallel with being thin and being fit. But we have kids that are much more obese than they were 100 years ago. Yeah. You know, but in the 65th percentile now, you know, we have kids that are obese. And not only are we not doing anything to change it, we're almost celebrating, you know, people being larger. Um, well, uh, yeah, let's let's before we get into the whole like fat acceptance movement. Well, but my point, go ahead. It, it, like when it comes to why are kids fatter today than they were 50 years ago? Like, obviously, the, the quality of food that we're, we're giving to our children today in aggregate is worse. But I also think that for a variety of cultural reasons, kids are a lot less active today than they used to be. Fine. But my point is we're accepting of it. We're accepting of kids having diabetes, kids having asthma problems, kids being out of shape, kids spending all day in front of the computer or their iPad or the TV or their phone. And we're giving and we're just we're just cutting the cloth for larger sizes now when it comes to clothes. We're putting much larger people people on billboards and saying this is the face and the body figure of healthy. And we just we just kind of keep moving the mark here. And yeah, and obviously it's on the court, but at what point does the pushback come back? Because I walked by, you know, a couple of years ago, probably on the podcast, I said, hey, I walked by this retail store and uh, I've never seen fat mannequins. All the mannequins are fat. <laughs> Why do they have these funny shaped mannequins? Um, and I, I mean, I get it. They're marketing, you know, they're marketing to, to this market. person, that person. James, we talked earlier in the week about, and I think we might have even said this on the podcast, but. I sent you a Bill Maher clip, or we talked about this Bill Maher clip. He mentioned Adele. I remember thinking when Adele lost all this weight, how people were harassing her for losing weight. Uh, we just, we, why, why is the culture so accepting of this? And there's no pushback on people gaining well, weight, people being unhealthy. There, there, there is pushback. The, first of all, I don't know too much about Adele. I never really cared about her or her music. But I think people focused on her more because of stances that she took early in her career about trying to promote, like, accepting people that are larger weight and also talking about how she wanted to be known for her music and not her physical attractiveness. And so then when she lost weight to make herself generally more attractive people are like well what is it about like what you said earlier in your career i liked you because you were taking a stance for people like me and now you're not people like me so i can't identify with you so i don't think it's so much people crapping on her losing weight than it is saying you i used to identify with something that you represented and you no longer represent that to me now um i just want to put some inside that to me the food uh, corporations and I'm talking about yeah the food corporation they are playing the same game of the opioids um, the, the opioids in the 90s and the 2000s the, the tobacco industries those kind of things I think that there is so much money involved in all this cheap food that they're putting out there and, and then putting all this mock screen and telling people, oh, I am losing money. I'm giving you a, a cheap chicken at 4.99. And I broke down the, the numbers and I think they are making money actually on that chicken anyway. So, but the bottom line is, I don't think that there is a care for the people in, in general. There is not. In, in fact, uh, in 1958, they passed a, a law, uh, yeah, a law that, and they call it the GRAS, G-R-A-S, that means generally recognized as safe, and it's a list of products that manufacturers they can use to to flavor their 
product to enhance it to do whatever generally recognized as safe. well recognized as safe. industry and those, of say, those things we buy every day in the supermarket if i ask you to come to my house or to for a dinner with me and i and i offer you a generally recognized as safe dish you most likely look at me like if i am crazy but pretty much, pretty much since 1958 we are eating a lot of generally recognized as safe ingredients that they are coming to us from from all those mega corporations that they are making millions and millions and millions and today they just keep increasing those health problems and so so pretty much is it's almost like it become a huge business and we are the only we are just the numbers we are the I don't even know if you are the guinea pig. We are past the guinea pig. We are but just... look, so but I'll I'll give you that the food that we're being served is a lot like the cigarettes we are being served for the last sixty years. Uh, but we saw over time what cigarettes were doing to people, and they originally marketed cigarettes like the pregnant woman cigarette or the the athlete cigarette or the doctors or, <laughs> doctors prefer yeah Esther Fields or whatever okay. yeah and. We have a similar thing going on with food. I mean, you have Olympians that used to advertise McDonald's, right? Yeah, um, kind of you know, athletes advertise. Yes, yeah, so like, and that Olympian probably ate McDonald's once a year. Well, I mean, he could have ate it. He could have ate it for eight meals a day. And, Actually, I remember McDonald's would, like used to sponsor the Olympic villages. Yeah, and but the <laughs> Olympians like, are burning. What Olympians are actually? that care about their performance are going to be eating McDonald's before like but, running the marathon but that not day. Olympians just need pure calories. So, you know, they'll consume 15,000 calories a day. If they can have a couple of happy meals and some big bags, they're take, not doing that though. Well, most of them aren't because they want some sustained calories. I, I follow like a whole bunch of different sports pretty closely. And I watch some videos, like some athletes talking about like a day in their life when they're in training or whatever. And they talk about what they eat. And one of the guys was talking about how like he cooks all of his own food and how like, and in like the tour de France or whatever, like the tour de France teams, each team has like their own nutrition team. So like they've got the riders, but they've got all the support staff. Part of the support staff is solely dedicated to nutrition where they've got chefs and nutritionists that are coming up with specialized meals for all of these athletes. And I can guarantee you that McDonald's is not on their menu. Yeah. Like, I mean, even uh, if they're doing 10,000, 15,000 calories a day, like every single one of those calories and every, every like gram of protein and all the other like vitamins and stuff that are in there, those nutritionists know down to the gram how much each one of their athletes is taking. So, but my question is, we saw over time how cigarettes were killing us. It's, it's very clear in the pant sizes of Americans and the number of people with diabetes. It's very clear that the food that we're eating is killing us. The problem, you know what you're addressing? It doesn't happen right away. It happens over time. It's not like... Well, cigarettes, it could take you 50 years to get lung cancer. In fact, it's not like, uh, you know, the fire burns. So you put the finger in there, you burn yourself, and then you get the lessons because well, it's very I mean, quick. Eat, you know, eat really... McDonald's every day for six months, and you tell me. Yeah, but it will take six months anyway. You know what I'm saying? It's no, it's no quick enough. You know what I'm saying? I, I, I all the weight that I gained, I never realized that I was gaining so much weight. I thought I was eating a lot, but I never really realized that how much I was eating. So I think a lot of people do what they do because it's not uh, the effect. They are not as fast as I would say it's faster than what happens with cigarettes. But my question is still, you can see what Americans and a lot of other countries look like and what we're suffering from. When, yeah, you know, is the food industry that much bigger than the tobacco industry? Well, Are we can, that, I, that can I really quick talk about like the culture of acceptance? Because I've got a quick story. All right, you got 30, you got 40 seconds. I can do it in 40 seconds. When I was, when I lived in Spain, um, I would oftentimes play soccer on like street courts, and it would just be random people that would show up every night, and it would just be pickup games of soccer, and it was usually pretty friendly, and the skill level would vary. and 
most of the like almost all the people that played soccer were all quite thin and pretty athletic. And one night there was this one guy that showed up that was pretty heavy. And everybody on the court called him Gordo, which if you don't speak Spanish is fatty. So like the the one guy in like by American standards, he wasn't even super fat. He was just the fattest guy on the court. And so like that was just like and nobody thought anything of it. It was just like, yeah, there's Gordo. And that's what they all call them. And he and so there was just kind of this subtle cultural acceptance that like if you're fat in Spain, you're gonna be called out on it. Well, we don't have that. We don't have that here, and we have overwhelming acceptance. We are out of time for this episode. Uh, I want to thank you guys for joining. We'll got to thank Rosh for feeding us the comments and warning us about and, legal potentials. Yeah, I will. I will address the legal issues uh, before we publish. But uh, I want to thank everybody, and uh, it's pizza time. Enjoy your pizza, guys. See you. This is the other end. Thank you for joining. Uh, if you like this episode, let us know. Uh, please actually hit the like button. We'd appreciate that. And if there's more topics you want to hear about, we'd uh, we'd love to know. Uh, we're always looking for new topics. That's half the struggle with putting together these episodes. So I want to thank you for making it this far, and I hope to see you next time. Adios. I like PBR. I just got priced out of it. <laughs>